Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, good morning again. And uh, like I said just a few moments ago, can we go ahead and get the lights on? Is that it? Okay. I'm in the dark. I'm trying to be mysterious. That's okay. Well, uh, like I said just a minute ago, um, uh, it's great to be back here with so many familiar faces. I think I haven't had the privilege of preaching here in almost six months, so it's great to be back. I want to take a moment and honor your campus pastor, uh, Pastor Jose and Gigi. We love you guys. Yes. You are wise beyond your years, and I would want you as my pastor. And so I want to honor you. You're doing a fantastic job. And let me say this. I mean this with all my heart, church, knowing the history of this campus and this church. I absolutely believe this church's best days are yet ahead. I absolutely believe that. And it's going to be through your leadership, through your leadership. And Lake Worth, let me hear you. Yeah, where's Pastor Brandon? Where, where is he at? There he is. There's Pastor Brandon and Haley. Uh, love you guys. We're so proud of you. You're going to kill it. I mean, not kill it in a bad way. You're going to do a great job. <laughs> You're going to do a great job. And uh, let me tell you, as somebody who's involved in uh, churches and regional church leadership and helping raise younger leaders up, um, we have two of the absolute best here at our campuses. We absolutely do. So we honor both of you guys. Honor you. We're going to have a great Christmas season here at Community of Hope. Uh, before we jump into Christmas, let me give a little bit of quick family catch-up for everybody. Uh, since you last saw me, uh, we had three kids and we were pregnant with one more. Well, we've had that baby. Actually, this today, my wife is, yeah, there he is. There's my little baby boy. My wife, Leah, is in the cry room. Hey, baby. Mwah. And uh, today is baby Asa, that's how you say his name, baby Asa's first day in church since he's been born. We brought him to West Palm Beach for his very first day. How about that? Yeah. So there's baby Asa. He was born in October, and uh, he's doing great. Mama's doing great. Here's pictures of him and the rest of the kids visiting Santa for Christmas. Yeah, well, my four babies, that's it. I'm not having five. I'm not building an offensive line. That is it. We are done. And so uh, we're excited. We're excited. And it's great to be back here with everybody. And some of you guys getting to see a peek of the baby boy and getting to say hey Leah, to the other kids. Um, it, Community of Hope is a great place to have a family and to have uh, kids and raise them up at all of our campuses. So it's a great thing. Now, uh, let's talk, since we have Christmas photo up, let's talk about Christmas for just a sec. You saw a video about that. We want to let everybody know what's happening during Christmas and in the season here. So our plan here is at West Palm Beach. Um, you can scan that QR code to take you to everything we're doing with Christmas at Community of Hope. If you don't know how to do that, just open your camera on your phone and point it at the screen or show your grandkid what, or have your grandkid show you what to do with your phone. Um, here's what we're doing. For Christmas Eve, I just want to make sure we get this right. We're having indoor Christmas candlelight services here at 6.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve. So you can have a nice early Christmas dinner or a late Christmas dinner. That's a good time for that. That's going to be a Friday on Christmas Eve, December 24th. On that Sunday, December 26th, everyone say this word with me. No. 
There is no church in this building on the 26th or any of our buildings we're having online only. Everyone say this word with me, online. On December 26th, our church is still having worship, but we are meeting online only to give our staff and our amazing volunteers a weekend to catch their breath, especially since the 26th comes the very next day after Christmas Day. So make sure you watch online. Please continue to give faithfully online, and then we'll be back in person uh, at the beginning of the year on the 2nd of January. So that's Christmas stuff. And then lastly, tonight is going to be a really special service here in this building here led by Pastor Jose. That's why I'm here. I'm here to give Pastor Jose a breather before he preaches Jesus tonight to everyone. We're having what we're calling a blue Christmas service. And you heard about it briefly in our announcement video, but really what the heart of this is, is it's a safe place for people to come when Christmas is not happy. When Christmas is a heavy season, especially if you've lost uh, someone this year, especially, my goodness, how, who hasn't lost somebody in COVID, right? So this is a unique service where people can come and bring their pain and bring their sorrow into the presence of a God who comforts all who mourn. It's a safe place for that. So, um, man, we would love to have you come on back. It's at 5 p.m. tonight. More importantly than us inviting you to come is uh, if you know somebody who's lost someone this year, and this Christmas season is particularly hard, invite them to come with you and come together tonight. Maybe even call them this afternoon. Maybe somebody's popping into your mind or into your heart right now. I invite you to come on back and hear Pastor Jose and Pastor Brian and lead out in this wonderful service tonight. It's going to be great. Okay. Now, here's where I want to start for... Uh, for the message for today. This past week was a milestone for our country. This past week was the 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. How many of you knew that or saw that in the news this week? Yep. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to think that this was 80 years ago. Uh, the attack, well, first of all, before I go any further, has anybody here served in the military? Do we have any military, military families here today? Can you stand so we can honor you? Can we go ahead and do that? If you've served in the military, thank you so very much. Thank you. We honor you. Thank you. Thank you. So 80 years ago this past week, uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor, many of you know, was a surprise military strike by the Imperial Japanese Naval Air Service upon the United States against their, against their naval base in Honolulu, Hawaii, just before 8 a.m. on Sunday, December 7th, 1941. Nearly 2,400 Americans were killed that day with 1,200 wounded. And the Japanese intention was to cripple the U.S. naval force in one blow, and it almost worked. And as all of us know, as, has, as the historians say, this woke up the sleeping giant. United States uh, formally entered into World War II the very next day, and the rest is history. Now, what's fascinating to me about the story they want to share with you about Today, as I did a little bit of research and learning about this event this past week, and I didn't know this. I missed this in U.S. history, but the attack on Pearl Harbor was a galvanizing force for people volunteering and enlisting into the Army. In fact, droves of young men across our nation signed up for the military willingly after the attack on that day. I read a newspaper article where they interviewed one veteran who said this when he heard about the attack on the radio and he was 16 years old. He said this, I came out of my chair like I'd been kicked. The country was galvanized. There were guys in my neighborhood who, get this, they packed their lunch and left their houses within minutes of the announcement. I was envious of them, although I never saw some of them again. Now, I want to tell you about this 
uh, idea of what happened in the wake of Pearl Harbor and remembering the attack this week is all the people who enlisted and joined the military very quickly. Here's the point I want to tell you today is that it takes a great cause for somebody to leave a great home. It takes a great cause for somebody to be willing to leave a great home. This is what these young men did. The rest is history for our nation. And in a similar way, in a similar way, this is what we're talking about today in our series, Come Home. See, in this series, we're doing a couple of different things. We're saying Jesus left his home so you could come home. And on one hand, we're trying to tell people, hint, hint, wink, wink, hey, everybody, come back to church. So we're still about 50% capacity from where we were before COVID. We're trying to tell people, come home. Online ministry, online church is good, but it's not the same. It's a great, it's a great, how do I want to say this? It's a great supplement, but it is not a great substitute. Amen? Amen. So, yeah. So tell your friends, tell your family members, come home, come home, come home. It's time. As, as, you, as you're comfortable, come home. Now, we're saying that, but on the other hand, what we're also saying is we're talking about the major point of this tag phrase in the series, Jesus left his home so you could come home. We're talking about the Christian idea of the incarnation. If you're taking notes, you can write that down, the word incarnation. It's not on the slides, but this is really what we're getting at. It's the Christian understanding, a core theology of all Christian understanding is that the second person of the, of the Trinity, there's a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit, and an act of love and a rescue mission to save the world. God the Father sent God the Son to be born in a manger in Bethlehem. And this is a huge deal. I read a poll this week that came out from Christianity Today where it said most Americans, and get this, most Americans and many Christians believe that Jesus didn't exist before the manger in Bethlehem. They still think, oh, he's Jesus, he's the son of God, and he was born in a manger, it's great, but he didn't exist before then. What I'm trying to tell you here today is that really matters. It really, really, truly matters that Jesus existed before all of eternity as the Son of God in perfect community with the Father and with the Holy Spirit and in an act of love left his throne to come to a throne that looks like this. This matters more than you and I could even fathom. Which Ken Whitaker, it's a beautiful manger. He did a really good job with that. Yeah. Now, Methodist missionary E. Stanley Jones, he was known as the Billy Graham of India. He said this, the most important verse in the entire Bible isn't the most famous. What's the most famous verse in the Bible, everybody? John 3.16. That's the most famous, but it's not the most important. The most important verse in all of the Bible, E. Stanley Jones says, and I agree with him, is John 1.14. It says this, we have it on the screen. Read this out loud with me. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. In a land full of a thousand different religions of India, E. Stanley Jones says, 
that this is the one idea. Go and put it back up there, please. This is the one idea, the one thing that actually makes Christianity unique and distinctive and different than every other faith on the face of the earth is that our God left his throne to become a human being and to walk in our shoes and to live a life that showed us the way to the Father and then to die a death that opened a way for us to come back to him. This is everything. It means absolutely everything. So last week, Pastor Jose and Pastor Dale and our Loxahatchee campus and online talked about uh, one of the stories from, uh, one of the nativity stories involving Mary and her impossible situation. Today we're going to talk about Joseph and something that he faced and what an angel spoke to him. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. We're going to have it on the screen. And it says this here. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary at home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So the past two weeks, as symbolizing all the significance of the incarnation, we've lit the candle that represented um, hope last week. The week before that, we lit the candle that represented light. I'd like to invite Matt to come forward. And we're going to light the third candle, the pink candle, here today. And as Matt comes forward, this candle represents for us the lighters right here on the back, man. There you go. This candle represents for us today forgiveness. Let's pray. Jesus, we sing um, in many of our Christmas carols, many different songs, but I'm reminded of the line of where we sing that this is a thrill of hope in this season. Would you cause the thrill of your incarnation, the thrill of you putting on human flesh to arise in our hearts this morning and all the deep significance of what that means for our lives. Lord, none of us has come here to play church and get ready for Christmas. We've come here with the hope that you're real and that you will speak to our hearts and change our lives in real ways. So come, Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray and everybody said, amen. All right, so like I said, last week, we looked at Mary's story, 
And this week, we're going to look at Joseph's. Now, just a little bit of background about Joseph. Um, He's a biblical character we just really don't know that much about. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a great political leader. And he wouldn't have shown up in the Bible without this special calling upon his life to be the adoptive earthly father of Jesus. Um, Because he's a direct descendant of King David, this puts him squarely in the line as part of fulfillment of God's plan. Um, We know that most likely Joseph was just an average blue-collar guy. Uh, In his teens, he might have had some religious education. He was probably living with his parents or relatives when the angel told him about his plans that he should go ahead and still wed Mary. He was a carpenter, which is where Jesus learned his trade. And what we know else about Joseph is that after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had four more boys and an unknown number of girls. And that's really all that we know about the guy. But there's still deep significance to him and all that this can speak into our lives. Of this, the brief lessons that we can learn from Joseph, my goodness, we learned how Jesus is full of grace and truth. We can see this in his dad. Where yes, it's true in the law, and even later in Matthew, where Jesus gives somebody a biblical um, appropriate reason for divorce because of infidelity, Joseph still, even though he had all the right in the world to divorce Mary, he was going to do it quietly and gracefully to not shame her and ruin her life, even though he didn't have to. It sounds like Jesus, who caught a woman in adultery later on in his life, who spoke the truth to her, but was gracious with her, said, woman, who condemns you now? No one? Well, neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. I bet he saw that in Joseph first. Joseph had a life that was marked by grace and truth. He and Mary showed restraint in their sexuality until Jesus was born. He valued obedience to God over his own honor. Joseph is an admirable man in Scripture and a worthy man to be an earthly father of Jesus. Now, but I want to zoom out a little bit. We're not here to talk about Joseph today. We're zooming out. Buried within Matthew's account, there's another reason that we could see why Jesus left a great home. And what his great reason was for his mission. It comes in verse 21. I'm not sure if you caught this when we showed it earlier. We're going to put it on the screen. We're going to just dive in on this verse here. It says, she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because here it comes. He will save his people from their sins. So two weeks ago, we learned that Jesus left his home to show us what God is like. Last week, we learned that Jesus left his home to give us hope when we think things are impossible. And today, we're going to learn that Jesus left his home to save us from our sins. Now, what does this phrase mean, to be saved from sin? Because it sounds like a super religious thing, right? Like, people will say, like, I found church. I got saved. And it's just part of ingrained in culture in a lot of different ways. But when something becomes so commonplace and said so much it loses its meaning and so I think if I walked up to the average person over at City Place or now called Rosemary Square or here they called it something else again but if we go over there and we ask you what does it mean to be saved from your sins I bet a lot of people don't even know what it would mean they'll probably say hey you're weird I'm gonna go to Starbucks leave me alone it means a couple different things there's depth to this idea of what does it mean that Jesus saves people from sin? What does it mean to be saved from sin? And what is sin even in the first place? 
Because a lot of us, especially in our post-Christian, post-modern society, throw off the idea of saying, well, it's true for you, it's true for you, it's true for me, it's true for me, and I live my own morality. I live my own truth, pal. Sin is an old-time concept that doesn't matter anymore. And I'm here to tell you today, it's not old-time. It matters more than you and I understand, and it's a big deal. And Jesus came to save us from it. So how do we understand what it means to be saved from sin? Well, it's really three unique things I want to bring up to you today that where the Bible uses word pictures to talk about, help us understand what sin is like. Three particular metaphors in particular we're going to talk about today. Here's the first one. First metaphor is that sin is an illegal offense before a holy God. Sin is an illegal offense before holy God. Sin is wrapped in legal metaphors all the time. My goodness, the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, is literally called the law. And sin, in this sense, is what violates God's moral law. Do you remember the first time that you actually knowingly did something wrong? Like, and I'm not talking like you flicked your brother. That's my stage of life right now, as you can tell. Um, I'm talking where you know you did something wrong, and you knew it was wrong, and you did it anyway. I remember the very first time I did it. I was a kid, a little kid. I didn't do anything wrong until yesterday, no. Um, I was a little kid, and my mom took me to, I think, Albertson's Grocery Store. I'm not sure if you remember this. She does remember it. <laughs> My mom and dad are here today, by the way. Love you both. Yeah. And uh, we were in the grocery store. And this is back in the day, pre-COVID weirdness, where they had bins of candy with shovels that you could buy and put in a bag and take home, right? You bought candy by the pound. God bless America. And there was one type of candy I loved the most, and it was um, runts. Remember, anybody remember runts? Yeah, it was like little fruit-shaped candy. Nobody liked the banana-shaped runt. If you do, I will pray for you. Just gross. Okay, but I love the little red apple cherry kind of runts. Oh my gosh, they're so good. And the grape flavor ones, they're so, so, so tasty. And I remember looking, I'm going, Mom, can we get some candy? She's like, no, we're not going to get any candy. I go, okay, okay. And then the stop popped in my head. And this is the very first time I ever remember being knowingly tempted to do anything wrong or bad or evil. And now I know who is tempting me. And there's this little thought saying, go ahead, just take one. Ironically, it was an apple. (laughs) I should have known. And it's, go ahead, just take one. No one will know. And I was like, seven, eight, nine, I don't know. I opened up the thing and I stole a piece of candy. And I broke the eighth commandment. Is it the eighth commandment? Sure. Do not steal. And I broke it. And that apple tasted delicious for the first three minutes. And then it sank in my gut like shame and guilt for hours and hours and hours. In fact, I wasn't fine at dinner the rest of the night. Mom kept asking me, are you okay? okay. And then finally at bedtime, and she was tucking me in. I told her the truth. I confessed to her that I stole something. And she led me to pray and ask Jesus to forgive me. And I went to Albertsons the next day with three or four cents to pay whatever it is 
for one little piece of hard candy to make retribution for it. That was the first time I did something wrong, and I felt horrible about it. And what the sad thing is, I've done way worse since then. It's funny, but it's not. I'm not trying to joke. I've done way worse. And so have you. In fact, the things that we do, sometimes it's like marks that get left on us. We try to wash it off of ourselves or wash it off of our heart or wash it out of our mind, and we just can't get rid of it. The guilt and the shame seeps in because you're guilty for breaking a law of God. And Jesus has come to save you from that. It says here in Colossians 2, 13 through 14, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, and it condemned us. And he has taken it away, nailing it, to the cross. Romans 8, I don't think we have this on the screen, but just listen here. Romans 8, 1 through 2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives you life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So what Jesus does for us to save us from sin is he takes our guilt, he takes our shame, and he nails it to the cross that he was nailed on. And you don't have to walk with guilt or shame anymore or fear of the, what you've done because Jesus has taken your place and died in your place and offers forgiveness for sins. Some of you came here today with something lingering in your heart that happened 10 years ago and you can't let it go. And Jesus has come to save you from it by forgiving you and washing you with his blood. Now, Forgiveness of sins, believe it or not, is just the first half of Christianity. It's not the first half of this message. Don't worry, we're not here until 1130. It's the first half of Christianity. Most people I know, they understand something about forgiveness of sins, but they don't understand the second half of Christianity is actually the best half of Christianity. And part of what I want to tell some of you today is if some of you have never said yes to Jesus, He can forgive you of your sins and fill you with life, joy, and peace. And for some of you who have been following Jesus for decades, you stopped here at him only forgiving your sin, and you've never gone further with him. And there is so much more. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for 40 or 50 years. If you stopped there, there's more, and he wants to show you more of himself today if you have an open heart to it. Jesus not only saves from an illegal offense, Here's what else the Bible teaches us about sin. Sin is a form of bondage. Sin is a form of bondage. Jesus taught us this in John 8, 34. He said, very truly, I tell you, whoever sins is a slave to sin. This is sin as slavery, sin as bondage, sin as chains. And this is perfectly appropriate in this season of the year. Because surely some of us have watched some form of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol somewhere along the year, right? For me in my house, it's in the form of kids' cartoons. People have done so many different renditions of it, but I noticed this one character in this time of year is Jacob Marley, Scrooge's old business partner. 
Jacob Marley looks like this in my home right now. He's goofy. And then if we're not watching Mickey's Christmas Carol, watching Muppets Christmas Carol, and he looks like the two old men. This show isn't half bad. You're right. It's all bad. (laughs) And they're covered in chains. But I think this loses the power of this imagery that Dickens intended. Here's a picture of a stage reenactment of Christmas Carol and Jacob Marley. Look at this. That's horrifying. He looks like a zombie almost. That's what Dickens meant. It meant to scare you. It scared Scrooge half to death. It was meant to scare people. And the ironic thing about Jacob Marley in A Christmas Carol and how he's covered in chains is that his sin in his life, his sin of greed and exploiting the poor and the marginalized and the weak and neglecting them, found him in the afterlife and bound him with eternal chains. Dickens got it half right. Your sin doesn't show up as chains in the afterlife. Your sin shows up as chains in your life now. The very thing that you thought would make you happy, the very thing that you thought you could do because you were free, And it wouldn't be a big deal is the very thing that enslaves us. And you can fill in the blank with a million different things. Anything from money and image to sex to power to substances that people choose to do. And it enslaves us in bondage. And we can't get out. And the Apostle Paul describes this perfectly in Romans 7. He says, this is crazy. The thing I want to do. I can no longer do. And the thing I don't want to do anymore, I can't help myself. This is what I do. And he says, who will save me from this sin that traps us, that makes us feel stuck, that makes us feel in bondage, that we are not free? Well, Jesus says this. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But verse 35, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus has not only come to forgive you of the guilt of sin, Jesus has come to free you from the power of sin. Jesus is not just such a great savior that he could forgive you for the horrible things that you and I have done. He's such a great savior that he could set you free from it too. There's no addiction that the name of Jesus cannot break and people walk in freedom. Our church is filled with people with that story that he's a chain-breaking God and he can break your chains too. He can do it. Forgiveness changes your relationship with God. But freedom brings a real change in you. Jesus has come to save you from sin by forgiving you, by freeing you. And here's the last thing. This metaphor of sin the Bible gives it. Sin is a disease that brings death. It's a disease that causes death. Jesus says this in Mark 2.17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Billy Graham said this. 
Sin is the most serious thing man will ever deal with. Sin is a spiritual virus that invades our whole being. It makes us morally and spiritually weak. It is a deadly disease that affects every part of us. Our body, our mind, our emotions, our relationships, our motives, absolutely everything. We don't have the strength on our own to overcome its power. The cause of trouble, the root of all sorrow, the dread of every man lies in one small word, sin. We all have this terminal disease and it's far worse than the flu or even cancer. It has crippled the nature of man and has caused humanity to be caught in the devil's trap. Shortly after Leah and I got married, um, I went to the doctor to get a checkup. And I had some blood work done and I found out I have a condition. It's called hypothyroidism. Anybody heard of that before? Yeah, great. Yay, okay, my people, great, uh-huh. And, um, and I learned that for, there's no cure for it, but the rest of my life I can take a little pill called levothyroxine, and I, I'll be fine. I can manage its symptoms for the rest of my life as long as I get blood work twice a year. And when I was 20-something, that was the very first time somebody handed me a pill and said, you're going to have to take this for the rest of your life, but you'll be okay. Now, I know there's some of you in here like, good luck, kid. Wait till they give you 20 a day, okay? <laughs> I know it's coming. I know. I know. But that was the first time I felt my own mortality in that sense. Like, oh, oh, that's never going to get better. There are many of you who treat your sin like that. Some of you have let Jesus forgive you of your sin, and that's amazing. And some of you have even let him begin to set you free from it, and that's amazing. But most of us treat sin like it's never going to go away. I can just manage it the rest of my life, and when I get to heaven, then I'll be free of it. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is even a better Savior than that. Jesus has not come to give you sin management techniques that you're just going to have to deal with the rest of your life. I'm not saying you won't be tempted the rest of your life. The devil is real and he's after you. That's true. But Jesus is better than just here, take a pill, manage it the rest of your life, I'll see you in heaven. He's come to save you from sin. 1 John 1, 7 says this, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Jesus saves you from sin by forgiving you of sin. Jesus saves you from sin by freeing you from sin. And Jesus has come to save you from sin by filling you with the Holy Spirit and by filling you with perfect love for God and for your neighbor so it washes the disease of sin even out of your heart. He's come to heal you. He's come to forgive you. He's come to break your chains. And he's come to cure you with the cure of the blood of Christ that can heal you even to the depths of your heart with sin. The question is, will you let him? The source of all of this is grace, but the condition is faith. Will you let him? In closing, Psalm 
139, 23 and 24 says this. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you pray with me? So just between you and the Lord now, keep your head bowed. We're not going to have anybody raise their hands or do anything like that, but just between you and God right now, let him search your heart. What sin does Jesus want to save you from today? Is there something that you need to confess for God to forgive? Is there a place in your life where you need freedom? And are you willing to let him fill you with his spirit and with perfect love so that you can walk free from even the disease of sin in your heart? Let him search you now. The band's going to play a song and we're going to worship to conclude our service. Lord Jesus, you save your people from their sin. Come save us entirely from sin. Amen. So this Christmas season, may you open your heart to let Jesus save you from sin. This Christmas season, May the baby born in a manger save you from the guilt of sin, save you from the power of sin, and even save you from the being of sin to be saved through and through in his name. Friends, we invite you to come back tonight for Blue Christmas to hear Pastor Jose preach on the hope and healing that Jesus offers to people. We've asked him to give us our benediction. Thank you, Pastor. Church, would you just receive this blessing as you exit our church today and be the church out there? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, go with God. We'll see you tonight.